service here yesterday for John Trudell, um, who was a longtime member of this church, an elder. He served in a variety of ways. Uh, some of you that are newer may not know John by name, but you would have you would recognize him. And so uh, it was a it was a beautiful service yesterday. Certainly uh, filled with grief that John is no longer with us, but also a lot of celebration and a lot of joy because. Uh, we have complete confidence that John is now with his Lord and Savior. So I just want to acknowledge that. Um, uh, uh, sorry. Uh, Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, died in 1977. Now, I'm not typically really good at remembering when historical figures lived and, and when they died. I kind of have vague ideas, but I always know the year of Elvis Presley's death, and that's because it was the same year that my older sister was born. And the reason I put these two events together is because when I was growing up, I had this aunt, and every time we would see this aunt, she would look at my sister and she would say, you know, Elvis died the year that you were born. It's <laughs> a weird thing to say. Uh, and you could really sense in, in her voice that this was just tremendously sad. It wasn't just sad that Elvis had died. It was sad for her that my sister had missed out on being alive at the same time as Elvis Presley. I remember as a kid being like, I really don't think my sister would have been a huge fan of Elvis, even, even if he were still around. Uh, but... The Apostle Paul had a somewhat similar, although very different situation, we will see, that he was alive the same time Jesus was, but he had missed out on experiencing Jesus firsthand. He never heard Jesus teach or saw him perform a miracle. Now, I want to be clear, this is a much bigger deal than not getting to see Elvis perform Viva Las Vegas live. Jesus isn't the king of rock and roll. He is the king of the world. His presence in the world didn't change a musical genre. It changed the world. As important for Paul is that Jesus is the means through which personal change is possible for broken people like himself. Thankfully, Paul's unfortunate timing in relation to Jesus' time on earth did not mean that he missed out on knowing Jesus Christ. Our missing out on Jesus' time on earth is not the end of the story for us either. We can still experience Jesus Christ today with all the implications that has for our lives, as Paul did. Knowing Jesus is still very much possible. So let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 8 through 11 to hear more. That's on page 903 in the Pew Bible. It will also be projected on the screen behind me. We will begin reading in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared 
also to me, meaning Jesus, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. In these verses, Paul is talking about himself. He is sharing his experience to make clear to the Corinthians how grace operates through the person of Jesus Christ. The way grace operates has not changed. Like Paul, every Christian has been blessed with grace they did not earn. Grace is free, but also costly. In response to his own experience of the grace shown him by Jesus, Paul worked hard. His actions were a product of appreciation. Not an attempt to pay back Jesus. He knew such an effort was impossible. What matters about grace is that it continues to expand. Glory occurs subsequently to grace. Grace, it's not something that we can claim credit for. Nonetheless, through grace, we are glorified. It is through the grace. Jesus shows us that we become participants in the life of Jesus Christ, our risen, glorified Savior. Paul's personal story of becoming a Christian through Jesus is the basis for his understanding of how grace operates. You have heard people say before that they were in the right place at the right time. According to Paul, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He describes himself as one untimely born. During the time Jesus was walking the earth, Paul was not directly exposed to him. It is unclear when Paul became aware of the existence of a man named Jesus. He probably heard rumblings about a guy who had claimed to be the Messiah that was crucified by the Romans. This would not have been such a huge deal. There were others that claimed to be Messiahs at the time. What was unusual about Jesus is that after Jesus' crucifixion, his followers, they were confident that he had risen again, that he was still alive. News spread throughout Judea of a risen Lord. The number of Jews who claimed to be Christians multiplied rapidly. Instead of resolving their concerns about Jesus' messianic claims, the Pharisees, this Jewish group, their participation in the conspiracy to take Jesus out had worsened the problem. 
they doubled down. They tried to eradicate those who claimed that Jesus was still alive. Paul, a young, ambitious Pharisee, he sensed an opportunity. He realized that eradicating these Jesus followers who ridiculously claimed Jesus was still alive, that it was a way to advance his own career while doing some good in the world. He was in his early to mid-20s when he began persecuting Christians. For the next three years, he was hard at work. By the time Stephen, one of the early leaders of the church in Jerusalem, was stoned to death by an angry mob, Paul was considered a leader of the Pharisees. At the time, Paul was known as Saul. Acts 7.58 tells us those present laid their coats at Saul's feet as Stephen was murdered, which indicated that they viewed Saul, who, who became Paul, as an authority in that situation. Paul reports to the Corinthians that he had no basis for becoming a Christian. He wasn't, he wasn't seeking Jesus. In fact, he was seeking Jesus' followers to eradicate them prior to Jesus coming to him in a vision. Paul thought he knew everything he needed to know about God. He had confidence in, him, in himself. He thought that persecuting Christians was exactly what he was supposed to be doing. Jesus had to come to him because he wasn't looking for Jesus. This is just what happened on the road to Damascus. Jesus, who was alive, revealed himself to Paul. Paul didn't find Jesus, neither did we. We don't find Jesus because we aren't searching for him. In Romans, Paul quotes from a couple of different places in Psalms. He writes, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruined and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The point is pretty clear. Human nature in this world doesn't seek Jesus Christ left to its own devices. Any desire a person feels for Christ prior to coming to faith is a result of Jesus' efforts on our behalf through the Holy Spirit. He calls people to himself. We may confuse this call with an inclination that exists in our own hearts, but the motivation to know Jesus is not inherent in any person. No person can take credit for their faith. By the grace shown to us through Jesus, we are what we are. This is important to keep in mind. Imagine I came to you and I said, I found 
100 pound gold nugget. 100 pounds of gold would be worth approximately $2.3 million. You would, of course, want to know how I got the gold. If I told you, after extensive research into minerals and geology, I determined where gold could be found, bought a piece of land, then spent months in a mining operation, you would rightly think that I deserved a lot of credit. If, on the other hand, I told you I was out in the yard with my dog and a chunk of gold just fell out of the sky into my front yard, you wouldn't think I deserved any credit. You would think that I was unreasonably blessed. Knowing Jesus is a lot more like the latter than it is like the former. Nobody deserves credit. Paul was unreasonably blessed by the risen Jesus. We are unreasonably blessed as well. The grace of Jesus Christ is not something anyone found, sought out, or discovered. The grace of Jesus Christ was revealed to us by him. Paul makes the point that the grace he received from Jesus, that it was not in vain. The grace of Jesus Christ led to results in Paul's life and ministry. The Corinthians Paul is writing to, they are one of those results. Paul was the means by which Jesus sent the gospel to them. Without his own experience of grace, it is unclear how those Paul is writing to would have experienced the grace of God for themselves. For Paul, grace led to results. If Jesus looked at grace as an investment, the grace he freely gave, Paul would have had a high return. Often when a person receives a gift which costs them nothing, they do not value that gift. I remember as a teenager, being jealous that some of the kids I went to high school with, that, you know, the day they turned 16, that their parents would give them these, like, nice, new, fancy cars. My first car was a 1989 Grand Am that I bought for myself. It was not, it was not a nice car. When it rained, the floorboard would fill up with a couple inches of water. One time I was, I was driving and the muffler just fell off. Just fell completely off the car. And so then the car sounded like a tank going down the road for however long. But I valued that car more than many of my peers valued the nice fancy cars their parents have given them because I had worked for Paul is pushing back against the idea that free grace from Jesus Christ should be treated cheaply. This is a problem for the Corinthians. They don't value grace highly enough. They don't realize its cost. At the same time, Paul doesn't want the Corinthians to think that they have deserved grace, that they have worked for 
how Christians should relate to the grace we have been shown continues to be an issue to this day. As with the Corinthians, there are those who treat free grace as cheap. There are others who act as if grace is something that must be earned. Paul responds to the free grace shown to him by working harder than any of them. The them he is referring to are those that have the opportunity to act with Jesus during his earthly life. Paul is referring to the other apostles. His resume confirms he is not exaggerating. Paul was rarely in one place for long. At a time when travel was rare, he crossed the Mediterranean multiple times. He paid his own way. Paul wasn't trying to pay back the extraordinary grace he had been shown. He was showing his appreciation for it. He knew the value of grace. He knew he hadn't earned anything. There was no amount of effort he could make that would equal the gift he had received from Jesus. Appreciation for grace was the driving force of Paul's life. What he sacrificed was nothing compared to what he'd been incorporated into. As 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 say, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The same should be true for any of us. The Christian life should not primarily be motivated by a sense we need to pay back Jesus for what he has done for us. We should be motivated by the sense that Jesus Christ has given us the ultimate gift of grace, his own love, unifying us with himself. Our appreciation is our motivation. For Paul, even the good he did in propagating the grace of Jesus Christ was not a credit to himself. In relaying his own experience, Paul writes, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with him. Paul doesn't seek credit for what he has done. He continually points back to grace. Christians should not claim to be good. Instead, we should rejoice to the extent that we are grace-filled. Goodness in us, whatever goodness we have that the world might see, it is an outworking of the grace that comes from God. The grace of Jesus is working to produce goodness from within us. Grace is not a way for anyone to show how good they are. That's not the point. In verse 11, Paul says, Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. You may remember from, that from early 1 Corinthians, Paul corrected the Corinthians' concerns about status. Some of the Corinthians followed Paul, some followed Apollos or other teachers. 
The Corinthians, they wanted Paul to compete for status. Some wanted him to claim credit for what had happened in Corinth. Others wanted him to recognize his accomplishments were inferior to others. Paul refused to play their games. Personal credit is not what matters for him. He's not looking to the Corinthians for the validation. What matters to Paul is that the grace of God continues to expand. The Corinthians believed whoever it was that preached to them. Paul certainly had a role in that, but he's not super interested in getting the credit. Paul shares Jesus' interest in the same outcomes. The Corinthians show they misunderstand why Jesus came with their focus on individual aggrandizement. They need to care more about what Jesus cares about, which is the continued expansion of the grace Jesus brings. We need to be sure to follow Paul's lead and avoid the pitfalls of the Corinthians. The operation of grace is not something we can take credit for. We are saved by grace. We did not discover it. We did not accomplish sufficient good to earn it. Any good we do is a product of grace. This doesn't mean we don't make an effort. It means the effort we make is a product of grace. Grace comes through a person. That person is Jesus Christ. He is living and active. You've probably heard it said before that there's no I in team. This is something that gets said by coaches all the time. What matters is not individual player staff, but the success of the team. A team that gets this message will succeed to a greater extent than a bunch of individuals trying to show everyone how great they are. Just as there is no I in team, there is no I in grace. What matters is that grace continues to expand. The ultimate victory of Jesus' grace in the world is our driving ambition. Concerns about who gets credit, that's not a Christian concern. God will be glorified. He glorifies Jesus. We are glorified through our participation in Jesus' glory. There is no more a shortage of glory then there is a deficit of grace. Our God is a God of abundance. He blesses us generously through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Elvis Presley is dead, as are innumerable other historical figures that it would have been great to interact with face to face. I would personally like to speak to Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, or Queen Elizabeth. The historical figure I would most like to spend time with outside of the Bible is Teddy Roosevelt. While the ideas of those who are dead may still have some lasting impact in the present, 
the people themselves cannot make a difference in our lives through a personal relationship. Jesus Christ differs from all other historical figures. He is the risen Lord. He is operating in the world. He is still the means of grace. Knowing Jesus changes life. The grace of Jesus is not something we earn, discover, or pay back. It is freely initiated in our lives through him. We are blessed beyond measure. He is our salvation. Grace is not the basis for any of us making claims for ourselves. Even the good we do is a manifestation of the ongoing grace of Jesus in our lives. Through grace, we are saved. By it, we are made holy. All of this is a product of what Jesus has done on our behalf. He is the grace of God. Through which the world was created and redeemed. He reigns forevermore. He is giving us the opportunity to be in loving relationship with him. Ultimately, the grace of Jesus will result in the glorification of all who are in a personal relationship with him. Even this Glorification is an outworking of the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. Everything we do, everything we are, is just an act of appreciation for the grace that has been made available to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Dear Lord, during this Christmas season, I, I pray that we would continue to remember why you came into this world. That you came to bring grace, that you came to make grace available to all of us. We thank you for that. We thank you that through your actions in this world, that you overcame death and sin and brokenness, Lord. And that you were able to continue to offer grace to us. And to all those we run into on a daily basis, I pray that we would live our lives in appreciation of this tremendous gift that has been shown to us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.